Good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Happy Easter to you. It is good to be in God's house together. My name is Chris. Uh, before we get into this, I want to uh, the, the message of the resurrection, I want to share a, a couple of things. Number one, beginning this Thursday, we're going to be having a Bible study in the book of John throughout the Easter season, five weeks, uh, starting Thursday night, the 13th, and we would love for you to come and join us for that. Uh, we're going to be looking at Jesus' statements, his I am statements in John's gospel. And I actually think this is a beautiful way for us to uh, press a little further into the beauty of the Easter season. Uh, we're going to be looking at life and what Jesus has come to bring us in terms of life. And so we really hope you'll register and join us for this John study. It'll be in the, in the chapel, and I'm really pumped to be a part of it. I think it's going to be a really, really meaningful time. And secondly, uh, we have been for some time looking to and praying for and putting our hooks out there to hire a kids pastor. And I just want to take a moment on this Easter Sunday to pray uh, that God would provide a kids pastor. So if you are in this church and you have a heart for Trinity and a heart uh, for kids and, um, and potentially curiosity around a role, I just want to say to you, um, our hope is that God would stir some folks that are in our church family or people who you know in our church family that are kind of adjacent to us to be a part of this team. Uh, you don't have to be theologically trained to be our kids pastor. There's a sense in which we want a, a lot of resonance. We want God to bring the right person, the right woman or the right man into this team. And so I just want to pray. God loves kids uh, and he cares about what's happening in that lower building. And I just believe the Lord wants to provide for us. Uh, if you go to our website, you can see that job posting along with, a, with another job posting or two. Uh, there's some great opportunities to join our team. Father, I pray, we pray that you would provide for us a person who would love and care for and create space for our kids to grow within the context of an amazing next generation team. God, we ask you right now to stir the hearts of whoever it would be. Uh, that would want to and feel prompted to put themselves forward for this space. And we trust you, God, for provision for the next generation for our kids' ministry. And we ask, God, that you would meet that need through a person. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to keep you posted on this as it unfolds. Uh, I really have a sense of hope and confidence that the Lord is going to provide for us. And I'm really, really hopeful to see uh, whether it may be maybe you or somebody you know that steps into that space. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 20. Today is Easter. Uh, today is the uh, sort of like what it, the Super Bowl of, of Christian moments. You know, this is our day. This is like the Sunday of all Sundays. And if you're anything like me, you know, I remember growing up, had one parent that became a Christian when I was a little bitty and the other later in my, my teenage years, uh, always went to church on Easter and it was like you get all dressed up. And so for me, I mean, my shirt's tucked in. I mean, I am going for it. Initially, I wasn't going to roll my sleeves up and then I was like, nope, got to, got to, got to, got to be myself. But I remember getting super dressed up and you like try to get all pumped up and then it's over. And one of the reasons why I love being an Anglican is that we get 50 days, y'all. Um, Easter is bigger than Lent in every regard. Lent's 40 days, Easter's 50 days. Lent, you're giving stuff up. Easter, you're picking stuff up. This is a time to eat really good food and drink really good drink. 
Uh, This is a time to feast and celebrate. This is a time for us to live deeply into what life really means. And what we're going to do today is we're going to try to put a very familiar story. Even those of us who don't often come to church, we, we know this story. Like this is the thing we think we know. I would submit to you that there's probably something here for you today where God wants to stretch you and challenge us. I think it's actually really important that we read the text and we think about Easter and resurrection in a way that is true and real and in this Bible. And so we're going to be we're going to be holding a familiar thing in front of you, but we're going to be spending the next 50 days trying to wrap our hearts and our heads around the resurrection. Y'all, the idea that God moved through death into life is such a big idea that we can't possibly take care of it today. So we're going to be spending the next 50 days trying to trying to get there, trying to wrap our heads around the most astounding powerful mystery that the world has ever seen. So I'm going to read and then I'm going to pray and then we're just going to jump in and we're going to mark our way through this text. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John who wrote this story, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus's head not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples returned to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head, the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? The second time that question is asked of her. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I've not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you for Easter. We pray, God, that we would be able to, in this moment, uh, think true and deep and clear thoughts about Easter morning, what it means for you, God, and what it means for us. We pray, God, that you would move us to recognize that this matters and and that this is the fulcrum on which the whole of Christian belief and conviction rests. We pray, God, that we would see truth, 
that we would feel met by you, connected to, comforted, encouraged. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of the things I love about John is that um, he is writing this story and he like low key tells us that he's faster than Peter. It's like my favorite. I, it's just amazing. He's like, yeah, we ran and I outran him. But then Peter's always being Peter, you know, he went in first, John got there first, but then Peter goes further in. And this story is so familiar to many of us. Uh, and yet what I want to do today is I want to walk through this text and I want us to highlight and hold and think about some really important phrases or movements or ideas in this passage so that we can actually live into whatever the truth is that God wants to share with us. I actually think he has some really important stuff here for you and for me. This is a story about Jesus and this is primarily also a story about Mary Magdalene. And whether you're a man or a woman today, um, Mary is the uh, human exemplar in this story. Mary is our picture and our pattern of what spiritual formation and discipleship look like in this story. So um, guys, ladies, let's look to Mary because Mary actually has something to teach us about how humans are meant to interact with change and with Jesus and with resurrection. So here's the first thing. Mary goes to the tomb. Uh, I've heard Christians say that uh, Holy Saturday is a day of waiting. Uh, yesterday was Holy Saturday. It was such a fitting Holy Saturday because the weather was just so terrible. It felt like a day for sadness. It felt like a day of loss. It felt like a day um, that, that you would imagine Jesus to be in the grave and his friends to be lost. Um, I actually don't think that Holy Saturday was a day of waiting for the disciples. It was a day of remarkable loss and grief. They were not looking for resurrection. Even in this story, when it says that Peter and, and John got to the, the uh, tomb and they looked in and they saw and believed, it wasn't that they saw and believed in resurrection. They just saw and believed Jesus wasn't there. On, on Saturday, on Friday, Saturday and Sunday, uh, the disciples and Mary were not looking for life. They were mourning death. Um, here's what Jews understood. And this is where it gets a little nerdy, but just hang with me. Um, almost every Jew at the time that Jesus is, is killed and resurrected, almost every Jew believed in resurrection. And I'm going to be very clear about what resurrection means in a little bit. But they believed resurrection would happen at the very end of all of history. None of them thought it would happen in the middle of human history. So on this Friday and Saturday and early in, in the morning on Sunday, when Mary goes to the tomb, what she's doing is she is in her grief and pain and loss. She's just going to be as close to God as she could get to. And that's where he was buried. Jesus was there. So she goes to that place. She does not go to the tomb looking for life. She goes because she is sad. And a part of what we're going to think about today is how important it is for us to feel our feelings, even when God is about to do something really big and really shocking and really surprising. Mary goes to the tomb because she is grieving. She is super sad. The second thing we see is that after she goes back seeing an empty tomb and tells the disciples, two of them come. The fast one that tells, tells the story 
and the slower one, Peter, and they go into that space and look in and see that it is as Mary says, and then they go home. And I've been thinking a lot about that going home. There's this image in the Bible about moving toward home that is really good. Well, this is one that's not so good. When the disciples go home, they're retreating, they're receding. They're just going back to some other place. They see it, they're discouraged, they're disoriented, they're confused, and they just lose ground. And I've been thinking about that because I think for all of us, There are times in our lives where we are confused or discouraged and we just lose ground. It's human nature to go home in this case. It's it's human nature. It is in our nature when we are confused and exhausted and discouraged to just retreat. And I think they were probably thinking like, we got to go back to doing what we did before. We thought this was, we thought this was something And it's one thing to have Jesus die and be buried. It's another thing to have Jesus die and be buried and then be taken. Like they couldn't even go and and visit a grave. They couldn't even memorialize and honor him as a great teacher at this point. They, They couldn't even locate a place where they could have some sort of memorial in perpetuity. And so they just go home. They, they lose ground. They don't know what to do. And so they, they recede. And some of us in this room right now are in a season in life where you're receding. You're just losing some ground. And I just want to say to you, it is human nature to recede, to lose ground when we're confused. It's understandable. It's not the best but it's understandable. And these people, and I'm going to tell you, John and Peter are like all-stars. I mean, they, they have some good work in front of them, but right now they're just like, well, okay. These guys will feature very heavily in the story. Peter will preach the first sermon Pentecost and thousands of people will come to know the Lord. Peter will be so emboldened that one day when he faces crucifixion himself, he will refuse to be crucified as Jesus was crucified. He'll say, I'm not worthy to die like Jesus died. So they'll crucify him upside down. And we don't even know that from our Bible. We know that from history. John will be boiled alive in oil and be covered in scars. He'll be the only friend of Jesus who lives to an older age and will be starved to death on an island of Patmos, which is where he will write the revelation, the apocalypse of John. These men have a, have a full arc in front of them, but today they're just going home. Some of you have really powerful and fruitful days in front of you, but maybe today you feel like you're going home. The third thing we see in this story is that Mary, unlike John and Peter, she remains. This is why she's our teacher in this moment. This is why, this is why I think Mary is the picture of what it means to be human and to be confused and to hang in there. Mary doesn't go home. She stays 
And the, the Bible tells us that she does two things. She weeps and then she looks again in the tomb. And I've been thinking about that. Like, man, what, what was it in Mary that, that, that hung in there? I, I think part of it was, if you know Mary Magdalene's story, she was a woman who'd been rescued by Jesus from tons of shame. Mary had a checkered history. She had social shame and disgrace. She was known to be a woman of sin and Jesus welcomed her and found her and loved her and like gave her her life back. And so there's something in Mary in this moment where she's just like, I don't, I probably want to go home with the guys, but I'm just not going to, I'm not ready to move away from the pain and the confusion and the loss. And she does two things. She feels her feelings and she looks again. And it strikes me that God oftentimes shows up in our life when we feel our feelings and we're willing to look again. First look in, it was just empty. The second look in, there's something else happening. There are these two angels, two, two people in the tomb, and she's probably very disoriented. And they ask her a question. They say, woman, why are you weeping? Actually, that question is asked of Mary twice. And in both instances, it was not rhetorical. They expected, the angels and Jesus expect her to tell and she says, I'm sad. I'm confused. They want to know. God's always wanting to know why you're weeping. He's always wanting to know why it feels confusing, why it feels painful. And Mary, the bravest thing that Mary does is she just hangs in there. <laughs> we live in a world where we're, we think we're supposed to do heroic stuff. That's why I'm not on Instagram anymore because I'm just... I, I want to do heroic stuff. And Instagram feels like it's just all about being a little spark, sparklier than you really are. It's like poison to me. And so I think we live in a world where we think we're supposed to do big things. And yet maybe for, for Mary and maybe for you, the biggest thing you can do is just stick in there. I think the bravest thing I've done in the last three years is just simply to hang in there. And maybe you need to hear that today. If Mary's your teacher, just hanging in a little longer. She stays in a confusing place a little longer. And she's sad. And she's scared. And something awesome's about to happen. She doesn't know that. She's just feeling it. David Brooks, who writes for the New York Times, um, also an Anglican. He's, he's, he's one of us. Um, he had a conversion to Christianity sort of late in his life. And uh, in 2016, David Brooks gave a lecture in Chicago at the Chicago Humanities Festival. And it's on YouTube. I think it's maybe one of the most powerful one-hour talks that you'll ever hear. If you Google David Brooks, Chicago Humanities Festival, A Moral Journey you will listen to him tell you some really important stuff. One of the things he says is that suffering carves out, if we'll let it, deep places inside of us. Suffering can make you cynical or it can make you really deep. Mary hangs in at the tomb and something is happening in her that's making her deep. She's being excavated. It's like having a digging machine that just makes you deeper in the subterranean. That's what's happening to Mary. Um, I, I want to read something that, that David Brooks says. Uh, I didn't read this in the first, but I just love this. He says, recovering from suffering is not like recovering from disease. He says, many people don't come out healed 
they come out different. Mary comes out different because she hangs in there. And I believe that God is always working. I also believe we're almost always confused. Like, can we just both, can we, do you have the bandwidth to believe that? If you think you're never confused, you're confused about that. (laughs) Mary has run out of options. She's run out of answers. She's just run out. And the fourth thing we see is that she turns around after weeping and looking a second time. And she notices that she's not alone. And this is where it gets weird. Because she'd spent years with Jesus. I mean, Jesus was, um, Jesus had really taken Mary into his inner circle. He uh, loved her and he healed her and he gave her her life back. He gave her her dignity back. He gave her, he, he was powerfully present. And yet she doesn't know that it's him, which is really weird. Like the early church wrestled with this because there's something about Jesus that's familiar. So when he says her name, she recognizes him. But when she just looks at him, he looks different. He looks distinct. She thinks he's a gardener. She just assumes like, man, do you work here? And John really played with this image of a gardener because I think John is emphasizing it because he's understanding something um, and, and, and he's understanding something about Jesus like tending to the garden of a new world. He's basically saying Jesus is a gardener kind of. He's, he's cultivating a new creation. But in the moment, Mary just realizes, I thought I was alone. And when you're in grief, you do think you're alone oftentimes. And then she realizes I'm not alone. And the early Christians were like really grinding on this one. They were like, what, it, what was going on with Jesus, right? Like on one hand, he, he could walk through uh, doors. So he was very comfortable in God's country. But then on the other hand, he ate fish. Like it was like an early test for resurrection. Let's give him some fish, see if he can. Because everybody knows ghosts don't eat fish. It just drop right through him somehow. And so Jesus would eat fish. He also had the, the marks of his unjust murder in his body. So he was the same and he was different. And the church began to say, so there's continuity and discontinuity. There's like two things going on that was very confusing. So lots of work began to be done in the, in the church. But for Mary, she just realizes like, he knows my name. His voice is familiar. He, he calls her by name and she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. She is known by him. Mary hasn't worked out any theology at this point. She just lost him, and now he's back. And it's startling, and it's confusing, but it's also really good news. And nothing from this moment was ever the same. And I'm going to tell you why, because I actually think that this is really important. You and me getting clear about what happened here, as clear as we can, is really important. Because some of us... Um, have a picture of Jesus that is actually not accurate or true. Some some of us have like what I call Star Wars Jesus in our mind. Obi-Wan Kenobi is like a flickering hologram. Just, you know, like really wise information coming. 
sort of flickery. And you think, oh, is that Jesus? I'd be kind of discouraged. To pray to that would be like, huh. Every Jew, remember, almost every Jew in Second Temple Judaism at the time Jesus dies and is resurrected, believed in resurrection. And for them, resurrection meant something very precise. It did not mean a hologram. It did not mean a ghost. It did not mean a memory. It did not mean somebody was mostly dead and then got better. It meant this. Someone is physically alive, like just like you and me, and then they become totally dead. Not mostly dead. It's why three days matters. It's why when Lazarus was dead, it had been four days because Jews actually somewhat superstitiously at the time of Jesus believed that the spirit of a person would hover around their body for a few days because it was one of the ways that they would explain how sometimes people would get put in tombs and then they would recover um, because, and, and sometimes they would recover because they were like mostly dead and then they got better. And so Jews understood this to go, well, if you're in there for a while, like then you're, you're, the body departs from, uh, the spirit departs from the body and you're just like legit dead. So Jews understood resurrection was physically alive, totally dead, and then physically alive again. Not a memory, not a ghost, not an apparition, but physically alive again. What they did not believe was that this would ever happen in the middle of human time. It was the end of time. Jesus does in the middle of time what everyone thought would only happen at the end. Here's what Paul says about resurrection. It is Christ Jesus who died. Yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. So Paul sees Jesus as fully embodied, resurrected, sitting at the right hand of God, praying for you today. Man, I, I, you're going to laugh at me about this because it's going to mean I'm old and weird. I remember uh, listening to Kendrick Lamar's album, Damn, which probably I shouldn't say at church on Sunday on a number of levels. And there's a song on that album where he says over and over again, nobody's praying for me. And I remember like weeping when I heard this because I thought Jesus is praying for him. He's also praying for you, Paul tells us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this leads me to the thing we have to get clear. Resurrection is a sturdy business. Resurrection had to and necessarily involved the physical body. Jesus' friends were caught off guard by the fact that he was physically alive again. And what we believe as Christians is that we will all be resurrected one day, that we will follow Jesus. And at the end of time, we will get our bodies back and live a fully embodied eternity with God. This is why your body matters a great deal. N.T. Wright 
One of my favorite Bible teachers and scholars, he says resurrection for you and me is life after life after death. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul says that. It means that when you die, you go to heaven. It means your grandmother is in heaven with God. It's what Jesus meant when he said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. It means that when we die, we rest in paradise with God. But that's not the end of the story. What the Bible teaches us and what Easter teaches us is that one day the world and you and me will be resurrected. That's why if you go up to Creslon Cemetery, you're going to see tombstones that say this word, resurgence. It's actually one of the mottos of Atlanta because we were burned, resurgence. That word means I shall arise. You're going to get your body back. This is really important. What Jesus taught us on Easter morning is that he was confronted by death and hell and sin and all the pain, and he did not back up. He did not retreat. He did not recede. He didn't go home. He didn't work around it. He didn't negotiate terms so that he could get off easy. He went into death and came out with his body on the other side. Resurrection is sturdy business. These early friends of Jesus, all of which died for their faith. Y'all, Roman people knew how to put down upstart religions. They were expert at it. This was like what Rome did. If you were like leading a sect, a cult, they would kill you publicly, your leader. And they knew through rehearsal and practice that when you did that, the people following that leader scattered to the wind. This is a tried and true method. It worked before Jesus and it worked after him. And yet in this instance, something happened. British historian Tom Holland, who wrote a book called Dominion, Tom's like, if, if he's Christian, he's very, very nominal. What he says as a historian is something happened on Easter morning that made a different outcome that one must contend with. Y'all, Christian religion went from being a sect, a negligible sect in terms of number of adherents to the predominant world religion within 300 years. It remains the dominant world religion by hundreds of millions of people to this day. Why, when confronted with death and destruction, why would Peter be crucified upside down? Why would Andrew die in a spread eagle? Why would women be fed to the lions and bear witness to their faith? Because something happened that they saw that made them sturdy. Our entire world, Western civilization has been shaped and informed by the moral teaching of Jesus. The early followers of Jesus ran to the broken and to the poor and to the needy. Y'all, that was not the way it worked in the ancient world. Our own understanding of hospitals and social justice, our own understanding of compassion, all of these are because of the moral teaching of Jesus. If you don't believe me, go read about it. Romans put babies out to be exposed, treated people who were differently abled as inferior and broken. Even Jews in antiquity were so concerned with purity that when a person had skin disease, they would disconnect that person from society. And what did Jesus do? He went around moving toward the humble and the hurting and the broken and giving them life, bringing them back in. So what did the early Christians do? 
When the world was running away from plague, Christians ran to it. Christians built hospitals. Christians engaged the broken. Christians walked through due process. Christians did these things that we now don't think of as Christian things because fish don't know they're wet. The whole world has been shaped, but it's more than just the teaching of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection gave Christians courage to face even death, to move through the darkest places and look for life. God wants to teach us the same thing. I want you to begin to live as if this life thing wins out over whatever it is you're facing, because that's what Easter is all about. You and me, if we belong to Jesus, we are Easter people. We're people of the resurrection. We're people of life. And that means you are made of sturdy stuff. Resurrection is more than just a physical thing in the afterlife. Resurrection starts the reality and the truth of it start now. It starts with how you face your broken marriage. It starts with how you face pain and discouragement. It talks to us about how we live our lives in the middle of confusion. Jesus has something to say about your life, about mine. So we're going to spend the next 50 days living into it, pressing into it, because this is a big idea, y'all. Resurrection is sturdy business. If we could have our band come up, normally we quiet our hearts. Today we're going to sing as we prepare for communion. We're going to affirm the beauty and the power of what I just said, what Jesus just said. So I would invite you to stand if you are able. And I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing, and then I'm going to lead us to the communion table. Jesus, we thank you that you have conquered death. We thank you that our story as the church, as Christians, as people who've said yes to you, is a story that is about life conquering death. We thank you that you've made a way for us, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage to affirm resurrection, to affirm Easter today, and as we move through our lives. Help us to say yes to life, God. We're going to sing and then we're going to come to this table.